some of our Thinking Well episodes, while they have good content, do have some sensitive content. This is one such episode, so just be aware of that. There's nothing explicit in it. It's just got some sensitive content in it as we go through. of you convinces me of sin and if i say the truth why do we not believe me that is john 8 46 welcome back to another episode of thinking well podcast i'm kyle and i'm tom what's up tom what's up kyle oh you know i'm kind of digging like this kind of sunday afternoon-ish vibe that we've been doing i mean it does make for kind of a longer sunday but but you're not leaving and coming back. I know, and so it's, it's just it's really more convenient it, for me. It kind of keeps like the worship rolling a little bit. So, and dude, let I, me tell I, you, I have really liked it. Let me tell you, Tom. Today was awesome. It was a good day, man. Good worship service. Uh, we had a salvation, mm-hmm. which like this might sign this. This might sound a little selfish of me, but it, it dude, it tears me up yeah. every time. Like like they come forward and they're they're presented to the church for baptism. And I'm kind of just hoping that, like, Zach, please don't call me to pray because, like, I will, I, 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 I I'm going to be a mess. Right. I'm going to lose. I'm going to be a bumbling. I won't be able to get through it. Um, but no, dude, it was, yeah. it was great. To, when he asked me to pray, I had to do, like, my low prayer voice because <laughs> if I didn't do my low prayer voice, yep. I was probably going to start getting choked up. Dude, dude, it gets me every time. So good. So, such a, such a great, uh, great Sunday. But, uh, well, this episode, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be uh, one of our testimony episodes. Uh, I know you all um, look forward to those kind of episodes, and we have a very special guest. Um, We have Tyler Hirsch. How's it going, brother? I'm great, man. How are y'all? Doing great. Glad to have you. I know we, me and Tom were talking just before we started recording. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. We have. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a long time. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we were able to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in one of those seasons of life where I'm like, if I get through this, then everything will calm down. <laughs> yeah. And then I turn that corner and I'm like, actually, no, that's the one. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, yeah. So you're, you're right down the road from us, uh, in, mm-hmm. in Weatherford, correct? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. We actually live in mineral wells now, but, okay. Okay. um, life is basically in and around Weatherford. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're the, um, I know you, you know, Tom was telling me you primarily administer like the middle school, uh, kids, right? Um, mm-hmm. they're at- yeah. My job actually has two sides to it. Um, I was originally hired, to focus on middle school ministry at our church, um, under our next gen ministries. Um, and then a year or two into the job, the position opened up for our young adults in college ministry. Okay. Um, and our, (laughs) when that started, I, my boss, who's also my uncle came to me and said, uh, pastor Brian wants to know if you'll be willing to pray about taking the the college role. I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. Sounds kind of cool. And prayed about it for about a week and then we got to staff meeting the next week and we're sitting in staff meeting and the pastor was like, no, you're doing it. It's not a question. (laughs) You're doing it. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's your answer, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. But the Lord's blessed. It's been really cool. You know, um, Parker County's growing like crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, we are about to break ground on a new building for our church here in the next couple of months. That's That's awesome. awesome, Um, the Lord's just been bringing people to us and, um, you know, our outreach pastor said, 
I think he said it super well a couple months ago. Well, it's actually been a year ago at this point. We started seeing attendance records in January, which if you work in church, you know, attendance records are never set in January. <laughs> yeah, right, it never happens. Right. Um, and we were like, what is happening? What's, what's, what's causing this? And we hadn't changed anything. We weren't doing anything differently than we normally had. And he, I think he hit the nail right on the head when he said, we've just tried to be faithful to God's word and to, to not poach people from other churches, but reach people who don't know Jesus. And, and he's honored that. And so as the County has grown, people have been, you know, hungry for Jesus and hungry for new life. And, um, you know, it's just been growing like crazy. And our middle school ministry has felt it. Um, our young adults ministry has felt it. We just were able to take more students to um, the Passion Conference in Atlanta than we had ever taken before. That's um, awesome, dude. And it's it's just really neat to see people, again, like y'all had this morning, praise God for the salvation. You know, yeah. We've seen that as well. Um, and it was really, really great. This whole last year has been awesome to see. That's so. awesome. That's that's really good to hear. You know, it's it's one thing to you know, hear about it, but when you see it, right, yeah. it's just, it never just gets, gets going. It, it never, never gets, gets old. old. Well, that's awesome. And yeah. then just to kind of plug that church, um, it's the Greenwood, right? Greenwood yeah, Baptist? Yeah, Greenwood Baptist, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we're a um, Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, Southern Baptist Church. Okay. Um, and the church is like 150-something years old. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, our, our current leadership has been there about 20 years, and it is a very different church now than it was 20 years ago. But um, also... You know, there's a reason it lasted 150 years. You know, right. the gospel stayed central and right. um, the Lord has, you know, there, there was an opportunity for the the leadership of the church to purchase land on I-20 in Weatherford, I don't know, a few years ago. Um, and they almost did it. And then they just couldn't, couldn't find a peace in their spirit about it. And so, you know, if you're, if you're familiar with Weatherford, we're in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. in relation to the rest of the city. Right. Um, so a lot of people know who we are, but they have no idea where we are. Um, but the Lord has said, you know what, that it doesn't matter because I'm not, I'm not limited by that. So, right. Um, and yeah. And you're seeing growth, yeah, right? And that, that's, really that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. We, we were able to baptize 250 people last year. Wow. Amen. Um, which was uh, like when I signed on to take this job, I was yeah, like, I'm getting a little choked up. I'm Dude. like, that's amazing. I never, like you imagine God to do big things and you mm-hmm. think he's going to do awesome things when you serve him. And it, I'm, we're just continually proven in our own context that our ideas of what he can do and who he is are way too small. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's and cool to see what I love too is, um, obviously uh, we'll, we'll throw this out there. Um, traditionally independent Baptists and Southern Baptists aren't, they don't line up on everything, right? Mm-hmm. But what we do line up on historically and what is the most powerful thing that we line up on is salvation mm-hmm. by grace yeah. through faith. Absolutely. And that after you're saved, you join a church and you get involved. Right. 100%. That's, I mean, that's the a, a common tenet of our faith and it's yeah. the most important one because everything else branches off of that. Absolutely. But I love the fact that there's there's a gospel preaching church out in Weatherford mm-hmm. and to hear that kind of growth is just, um, and to and to look and see like, because we've experienced growth here within the last year too. Yeah. Just, it, it's, it's been really amazing. A lot yeah. of young families coming in mm-hmm. um, and to hear that that's going on there as yeah. well. And you hear it, you hear it from other churches too. It, it, you begin to realize um, when you look at the culture out there, mm-hmm. that is not what everybody's 
looking for. Yeah. There are some people out there that are still yearning for truth mm-hmm. and where God is working in their heart and the Holy Spirit is pulling them to somewhere who preaches a gospel just like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So I think that's really cool, man. Yeah. It's 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 neat to see because the growth is happening in all places and it's easy to make the argument that, Oh, your area is growing. People are moving into your area. So your church should be growing, which is true. If people are moving to your area and you're reaching community with the gospel, yeah. your church should numerically see some increase to some degree. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if you're being faithful to it. Um, but there's areas like where, you know, I, I grew up in the independent Baptist world and you know, my dad's church in Illinois is in a community where people are leaving like crazy yeah. and there's growth still happening in those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically in their community, um, we, you know, where people are meeting Jesus and it, and it's, it's not just like butts are filling seats. It's that like lives are coming, like people are coming back to life yeah. and, and, and multiplying to other people, you know? And that's, and it's, that's what it's all about. A hundred percent. It's really cool to see. Well, that's awesome. So. I, we can sit here all day and talk about yeah, sure. the growth <laughs> and, and how, how good God is, but yeah. we definitely wanted to just kind of, kind of let you take the wheel, Tyler, just kind of, yeah. you know, walk us through. Uh, your testimony, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you will, and, um, you know, start wherever, wherever you'd like, but yeah. we've, um, we're excited and anxious to, yeah. to hear your story. Absolutely. Um, well, again, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. Um, there's, I suffer from imposter syndrome a lot of just kind of thinking like, I, I should not be the guy sitting here telling this story right now. Um, I can think of 500 reasons why not. And we're going to talk about a few of them today, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, but I am here, so mm. I got to do something with it, you know? Um, and I'm grateful for that, but I am, so I'm currently 29 years old. I, uh, I grew up in Southern Illinois, about 70 miles Southeast of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and I'm learning as I tell people about my childhood in different contexts. A lot of people that are not from that area don't realize that St. Louis is on the border with the state of Illinois. Right. Um, but it is. And there's a good third of the St. Louis area that's on the Illinois side mm-hmm. of the river. Um, and I grew up about 70, 70 miles away from there. And uh, I was not born there. I was born in Dallas because my mom's family is from the Metroplex area. Um, hey, shout out, Texas. That's right. Um <laughs> And I, you know, I, I held on to that for my entire childhood. I was like, I'm not really Illinois and I'm Texan. People would be like, you lived there for two months and then you moved to Illinois and you didn't even know, like you didn't move there. You were moved to Illinois. And, um, it still counts. It does. <laughs> although I will say this and you know, your listeners might turn off after I say this, but I stand by it. I'll take it to the grave. In and out is better than Whataburger. And I had it for lunch today. So yeah. I, don't, I don't like either. So I guess I'm in a good <sighs> camp too, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily disagree. Well, here's my, here's my argument. If you can make burgers that are as greasy as In-N-Out burgers can get and with the ketchup and all the things in white uniforms and keep them cleaner than a doctor keeps his coat, I'll eat there. That's, that's hey, kind of my pull. Wow. So, valid. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, anyways, I, I grew up in Southern Illinois and, uh, small town, you know, cornfields for miles, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, the biggest thing that happened in our town was, you know, high school basketball games on Friday night. And, you know, I, I say that in this moment in, you know, the fourth largest metropolitan area in the country. And, you know, it, it feels like, oh, there's nothing much to do but a basketball game on a Friday night. But then I went home for Christmas this year and there was a basketball tournament that happens every Christmas week. And my family was there at every game our high school played and we felt <laughs> just as much energy about it. So, yeah. um, it, you know, it's, it's cool to see the community come around it. But, um, 
yeah, and I grew up up there, coming down here a lot to visit my mom's family, and um, kind of suffered for a long time with a a dislike of the season of life that I was in, the area that I was in. Um, kind of kind of trained myself to anticipate what was coming next, um, because in my mind, it's got to be better than what I'm experiencing right now. I was the oldest of four kids, the only boy um, in a, a pastor's home, you know. Um, and as a pastor now, I have way more sympathy for my parents than I did as an immature child. Um, but when I got to college, I heard a pastor say that he was, had made the commitment with his family that he wasn't going to sacrifice his family on the altar of ministry. Mm. And I became really bitter at my dad for a long time because I felt like ministry had been what he gave up his family for Mm. in certain ways. And, you know, I, looking back on my childhood as a man now, I don't know how many of those times I was accurately assessing what was going on. Um, I had wants and I had needs and I mixed those up a lot um, and would blame my dad, you know, when things weren't what I wanted. Um, But then I'd have a confirmation bias. You know, my mom told a story once about when my parents first moved up there. um, My dad kind of made this deal with my mom that he would work as many jobs as he needed to so that she would never be obligated to be out of the home which is a blessing because we weren't, you know, raised by people who weren't family because mom and dad had to go work. But what it also meant was that dad wasn't home a lot. And so she told a story once of us watching my dad drive down the driveway, which ran from the back of the house and like you turned out and then parallel along the whole side of the house out to the road. And, um, we, my sister and I, uh, were really close in age and we're standing at the window with our hands up on it, just going, Daddy, don't go, don't leave. And he was going off to referee a basketball game or coach a game or something like that. And so when I heard about that story, I was like, see, I'm right. Like, this is how it was. That's how, you know, it was a confirmation bias. Um, but I, I let that kind of lead me to really dislike what was right in front of me. Hmm. And I would escape a lot into video games or... Um, I was exposed to pornography for the first time at nine years old, uh, through an infomercial. <laughs> My friend and I had watched, a. there was, there used to be this old TV show on Spike. Um, I say old, it's going to make me sound young saying that it's old, but, uh, it's called a thousand ways to die. And Spike was a men's channel and a friend of mine from school stayed the night and we watched that marathon of a thousand ways to die. And at some point in the night it switched over. And nine-year-old me, while my buddy slept on the floor, um, was just locked in. Like, I, mm. I, I had no way to know what I was looking at and how to handle it. Um, and, you know, by the grace of God, he, he saved me and, 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 and regenerated me and, and grown me so many, in so many ways in those areas. And I found out recently that that friend has undergone the same thing um, and has recently, you know, dove in deep with the Lord and... Um, and grown to be more of the man he was created to be as well. So Amen. it's all redeemable. Yeah. But you know, in the moment, it was it was devastating. Well, that's that's pretty that's a pretty young age. It was to be kind of yeah just thrown into that. Yeah. Um, but I think you see that a lot now. Oh, it's more and more. Yeah. It's easier now than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to teach a class on social media and pornography for. Um, there's a place in, in Weatherford called Grace House. It's a crisis pregnancy center for you know women and and families that have unplanned pregnancies and what are they going to do? Um, and they have an education wing that goes into different school, school districts all around the area and, uh, teaches classes for two weeks on 
you know, one class is social media and pornography together. Another one's on abortion. Another one's on pregnancy itself. One's on personality traits. One's on the stages of attachment in relationship. And just, it's called pure truth and it's all volunteer led. They have one staff member who like coordinates it, but then most of the classes are taught yeah. by volunteers. And so That's for me great. as a yeah. youth pastor, it was like, I'll get into the schools and teach classes about something yeah. that I went through. Yeah. And I learned in teaching that class, um, what the numbers actually are. Mm. And I, I kind of want to share them just so that if there's parents listening, yeah, absolutely, they yeah. can be aware of what's actually going on here. I, I was nine years old in 2003 um, and was exposed to an infomercial about a particular company at the time that I will not name um, that was trying to sell DVDs. And uh, that was in 2003. In 2008, Baylor University did a study where they asked 18 to 26 year olds, male and female, if they had ever viewed pornography at any point in their life. And the answers at that time, actually remember I have the the numbers on my phone because at the church I grew up in, I was asked to teach on this and I did and I wrote them down and I still have them. Um, And I'm going to just take a second to look them up. was, Was this the men's group that you were at? Yeah, you were still living up there. I was there, there man. Yeah. yeah, this was a super impactful moment in my life, for yeah, sure. I still have it. So in, in 2008, 87% of men reported that they had ever viewed pornography at any time. And they used the legal definition of pornographic material as, as on the books by you know offices in D.C. for mm-hmm. when they write laws around it. Um, in 2018, so that's 2008, they had 87% of men ages 18 to 26 said that they had ever viewed pornography. So that's only five years after I was first exposed. In 2018, they redid the study, and at that point, 98% of men reported porn use in the last six months, Um, and then beyond that, they had um, 80% of the men had viewed it in the last week. Hmm. That was 18 to 26-year-olds in 2018. Um, The COVID lockdowns, um, there, there are numbers that go along with some of the most visited websites that show that that use spiked by the billions um, just in the United States alone, um, as far as like visits to, to, site, to mm-hmm. sites during yeah. those, those lockdowns. Um, and then there's the added data that um, if you add up all of the gigabytes of data that Amazon, Facebook, and Google as companies and all of their affiliates, if you add up how much data they have out there on the internet, there's more pornographic material on the internet than that. Yeah. And that's not even including the dark web. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this, this is what really kicked me hardest. Um, the age range that uses the internet more than any other demographic is the ages of 12 to 18. So you put all those numbers next to each other and there's, there's no way to have a study out there that says, you know, 98% of 12 to 18 year olds who use the internet have viewed pornography at some point in their lives because you can't ask a 12 to 18 year old that. Right, right. But you put all those numbers next to each other and it's like, whoa. And and it can be shocking to think, wow, Tyler was exposed at nine years old. That's crazy. And, you know, on a, on a moral level and a spiritual level, it is crazy. Um, on a reality, like how often does it happen level? It's not crazy at all. It happens all the time. Yeah. And, it, and it's getting younger and younger because yes. of the access. Exactly. It, 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 I, I know my kids dealt with that kind of stuff mm-hmm. when they were younger and they're, they're in their early to mid twenties right now. But yeah. even you, you look at, you look at our teenagers today and our middle schoolers today, like however early we think they're getting exposed to that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, 
dial your expectation back a couple of years and that's when they were really getting exposed. Yeah. Oh yeah. I used the word in a sermon one time for our middle school ministry. Um, I was preaching on loneliness. I wasn't even preaching about pornography, yeah. but we had had a speaker come in for a camp a couple of years before who talked about kids at his church who had been addicted and wanted to find freedom from it. So these high school senior boys created what they called the flip phone mafia where they got rid of their smartphones and all got flip phones and carried them on their hips in the leather pouches yeah, like they were 65 yeah. years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they literally called themselves the flip phone mafia. And so I was trying to make the point that when you follow Jesus, you will be alone yeah. because it's not the way the world goes. You know, the world is used to, most people in the world are used to viewing things from the perspective of sin. So when you go the way of Jesus and you actually get turned right side up, you're going to look weird and you're going to be lonely, Yeah. but you don't have to be lonely alone. Right. Like you can be lonely together. And so I was trying to make that point. And so I used the word that they were addicted to pornography. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents. And I rolled on, you know, and I kept going from there. And I had a parent of a sixth grader at the time come up to me and say, thanks, Ty. And I was like, what? Because I didn't think about it. I just yeah. made the reference and moved on. I said, what are you talking about? And he's like, thanks for letting us know beforehand. And I was like, I don't understand. And he said, well, I have to have a conversation now that I wasn't prepared to have with my child. Well, that child was in sixth grade and I had been at lunch at that child's school visiting students a couple weeks before where I witnessed another student who was not church and clearly wasn't a believer take his phone and, and, and show a pornographic image it was like a meme with a joke that had mm-hmm. adult content in it. Didn't actually have an explicit image, but he, he turned that phone around and showed it to him with me sitting right there. He knew who I was. He knew what I was doing. And I don't want people to feel like, oh, he's the pastor, so I can't, you know, change, yeah, I'm gonna hide I have to change the way I act him, yeah. in front of him. I want people to understand that there's nothing different about me. My job is to just make it easier for people to meet and follow Jesus. That's right. it. Yeah. So, you know, just... That's my idea of it, but it's not what most people's idea in the Bible Belt is. Like they think, oh, that's a pastor, so I got to clean myself up. Not only did he not care, but it was happening right there at the lunch table. And so with that parent, I, I wanted to just be like, sir, I promise, I promise your child knows. Yeah. yeah. You know, but if parents are afraid, all I can say is, like, if you're afraid to talk to Jesus about or talk talk to your child, about, about Jesus's perspective on something that is so carnal and fundamental to the human existence, like it sooner is better than later. So it, you, you need to recognize there's something going on in your heart that is keeping you from doing that. Mm-hmm. So it is worth it for you to get on your knees in front of God and say, I don't want to talk to my child about this, but I need to. Yeah. So right. help me be okay with talking to my child about this. I think, well, I think a lot of parents, they might have some kind of indication that something mm-hmm. like that is happening, but they're, they're afraid. Yeah. They're afraid of what they might find. They're afraid mm-hmm. of that tough conversation. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, as we kind of established, right. I mean, it's just that age of when, the first exposure is just getting younger and younger and younger. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I'd have to imagine if you can kind of have that conversation early when you first suspect yeah. that, I mean, at, at this point, I mean, what, nine years old, I mean, you're still in elementary school. Yeah. Um, you know, Absolutely. starting to have those conversations at that point, or if you first start to see that in, mm-hmm. your, in your child's life, um, could have massive impacts as, as they go into middle school and especially in high school, because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous out there. Absolutely. And, and it's dangerous because, and this is, I, I want to redeem it a little bit if I can, because it's, I've, I've kind of come down hard on, on sex in, in and of itself through this. Um, one of the things I had to work through in my own story and, 
and just understanding of the world was finding a way to redeem a, a beautiful view of sex. Right. So what I don't want to happen is for people to walk away from this and go, sex is dirty, dirty and terrible and awful and, and you know, see it on a screen. So, you know, don't touch it until you find the person you love most in the world and then do it with them. Because that's a weird jump to make when you go from thinking about it in, in the dark sides of things like pornography and then go to marriage and you're like, okay, now what, I'm, what am I supposed to do with all this? So the, the, the thing I've had to learn is that, that sex is kind of like a fire. Like your brain has been wired. And if you, st- if you study the hormones of how the hormones that fire in those experiences, there's a website called fightthenewdrug.org that really lines this out beautifully in layman's terms, what hormones are existent in those moments and, and what they do. Um, but as a cocktail of hormones together, for lack of a better term, they, they attach you to whatever's in front of you. Right. And when that's a phone... That's a scary thing to think about. Mm. Um, there's even a case where a man was caught by his father when he was a kid. Um, and so the dad exposed that story to the whole family at the dinner table. And the kid made the the decision, I'm never going to do this again. So I'm or never going to get caught by my dad again. So I'm going to go out into the back 40, back behind, you know, the woods on the backside of our property every time I want to do this. And when he did, he would look down at his shoes to make sure they stayed clean. And as a grown man was not able to be intimate with his wife without his shoes on, without his boots on, because his brain had attached that experience to what was in front of him. Mm. When you tell a story like that, it's like, whoa, this is a crazy thing. It's scary. It's twisted and it's messed up. But let's flip it around and look at it from God's perspective. You put another individual of the opposite gender that you have committed yourself to for life, then suddenly it's a beautiful thing because as time goes on, you become more and more attracted to this person because you are literally taking advantage of the system God created to to map yourself and and almost like put two pieces of duct, duct tape together mm-hmm. with this other person. Yeah. Right. So when you see those couples that are in their mid 80s and the husband looks at his wife and says, she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And and he means it and you can see it in his eyes and hear it in his voice that he means it. And, you know, it, it physically she's she's probably not at her prime in the way she's looked as far as physical standards of beauty go but he really is he sees her that way and he experiences her that way and values her that way in a way that the rest of society without god would just cast her aside and he means it because he's taken advantage of that that good system that god created for all of those years right and and to me that's that's a really beautiful thing to think about you know and and so on that note if parents are afraid to talk to their kids about those kinds of things it does it starts way earlier than you think because there are more basic fundamental things going on in a human's understanding of how those things function and work that come from a worldview that god creates like you know my body is my own and nobody gets to do to my body what i don't want them to do to my body you know which is something i had to experience from someone who was supposed to be really close to me and care about me um but then there, there's also things like let me, let me rephrase that. My body is my body in that like it's God, it's it's God's and I have to give it up as a living sacrifice for the Lord. Yeah. But another human doesn't get to tell me you, like you have to do this for my pleasure, you yeah, know. Right. Um, but then also like my parents are a safe place that I can go to when things are hard. Yeah. That needs to be learned mm-hmm. and it needs to be modeled by parents so that kids can feel that. And um, my wife it showed me this book. Um, she was working for a church that did a retreat for their middle schoolers that was all about biblical sexuality that their whole staff had to read this book before they went to it. And it's called, uh, it's called more than just the talk. And what I love about that is the cover has th- these two hands doing like the quotation marks, <laughs> um, more than just the talk. It's by an author named Jonathan McKee. And he just kind of makes that point of like, 
you know, you, you need to train as well as you can from a young age on train your children to be able to talk to you about things that are hard. And some of these more basic things that are involved in a conversation about things like sex that parents are afraid of. Right. Um, and he also offers, you know, if your kid's 16 and you're already, you know, like you realize, well, I didn't get to talk to them about these kinds of things when they were five or six or seven that I needed to do in order to make 16 conversations easier. He has tactics there to like, how do you engage with this older, older child? And yeah. it's really helpful. So well, that sounds super helpful. Yeah. yeah. But that's not my whole story. I mean, that's, I, I, I was exposed at nine and, and I talk so much about it as I have, because it became something that was a, you know, a daily and sometimes multiple times daily struggle until I was 23 years old. Um, I, I would say that I never found true freedom from it in any degree until I was 23. Um, there were seasons where I would go six months or a year of what you could call sobriety. Cause you know, part of those brain chemicals are massive surges of dopamine right. that, um, the brain can only, the only experience the brain has had in human existence that's comparable is like, heroin hits and, and cocaine and things like that. Um, so there were periods where I would have sobriety for six months or even a year at one point. Um, but I was really just white knuckling my way through temptation instead of it was behavior modification. There wasn't a regeneration in my heart around it. Um, but you know, I grew up experiencing those things all the while hearing the gospel and going to camp at Timberline and, you know, going to the Rogers conference and things like that growing up. Um, and I was, I even, even noticed a call to ministry at the Rogers conference. And, um, I, I knew of God and I knew a lot about God, even to the point that when I got to college and I was serving in some ministries, um, my college pastor at the time was like, dude, you know a lot about the Bible. Like, you know a lot of Bible stories. He's like, I'm a college pastor, and I didn't know these stories, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, when your dad uses it as like, a, you know, this happened in the Bible, so you've got to do this in your whole childhood. Like, it's just kind of oh. there. It wasn't because I was faithful to learn God's word. It was because my dad and my mom were faithful to model God's word around me, and yeah. I saw it and I absorbed it. Right. Um, and then as I got older, I kind of became a Bible nerd and like really dug into, you know, the fact that it's not just God's word because the things that are said are things God wanted, but there's, there's biblical, there's divine inspiration in the layout of the Bible. There's divine inspiration in the format of the Bible. There's Mm -hmm. a reason Psalms came as poetry and not as a narrative style, you know, like all those kinds of things. So I, I, you know, I heard those things and I'd been around those things and I'd heard the gospel a lot. Um, but I, I made a total of three professions of faith in my life. Um, one at six or seven years old, one in sixth grade, and then again at 16 years old. And the first two times, it's not really worth it to dive into the whole story around them just because at the end of the day, it was it was a fire insurance salvation. It was, I'm scared of hell and I don't want to go. And you know, our pastor preached on hell this morning and he even said like, you know, salvation is more than fire insurance. And then he goes, but if I could scare people into heaven, I would do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah. it's not how it works, so I'm not going to do it. And yeah. and for me, it was the same. You know, I, I experienced things that made me aware of realities about hell. And, and I was like, I don't want that. And Jesus says, this is the way out. I'm going to go that way. But I, I wanted Jesus to be my savior. Couldn't really care much less about whether or not he was my Lord at that time. Yeah. And Romans 10, 9 is very clear. 
that you are not saved until you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is the Lord. Yeah. Um, and the way I reword that for my students is that believe means to live like it's true. So if you live like it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, then that means that you're not gripped by a fear that that he doesn't have what you need right. in a certain situation. So temptation is, is more attractive. It'll pull you away to something that sounds like it will give you what it want, what you want, but it'll actually just turn you into powder or whatever, you know, it just it yeah. kills you. Um, so believing that he rose from the dead is a blanket statement to say, if I believe he was dead, I believe, or believe he rose from the dead. I believe he was dead, which means I believe he lived before he died. And so that the resurrection from the dead is a blanket term to say his whole life was true. And if it's true, it changes the way I live and who I trust and how I trust. Right. And, and then, then he overcame death a hundred percent. And if he has power over death, then he has power over whatever's in front of me and I can make it through that. I don't have mm -hmm. to compromise over here and do this to feel peace or I don't have to go to this place to this person who I know is only going to lead me to sin or whatever um, because he is better for me Amen. in that moment. Yeah. Um, but then confessing that he's your Lord is saying, I'm not the one in charge here. You are. And I didn't realize that until I was 16 years old. I was at a Matthew West concert. It's so ironic because I would I left that Matthew West concert and had a chip on my shoulder about contemporary Christian music. And I was like, <laughs> I don't like these these Christian radio artists. They're just, you know, feel good artists who who don't really preach the gospel. They're just about, you know, the, the radio station we listen to in Illinois would always say the right song at the right time. And it's like, OK, but like, where's the gospel? Where's the meat here? Right, and, right. Uh, all the while I'd gotten saved at this thing and, and you know, never paid that much mind. But um uh, there was a radio station in the area that was hosting the concert and the DJs for that, that for that station got up on stage and said a lot of things, but in the middle of their little announcements and address to the crowd, they said, we're living in the end times. Amen. And the whole crowd went berserk in the best ways. They were so happy. And me, the kid who knew a lot about God and knew a lot about the scriptures was like shriveling. I was like the end times, you people are idiots. The moon's going to turn to blood. <laughs> you know, the water's all going to turn to blood. Like the Antichrist is going to try to kill us all. And like, I started thinking about all these doomsday things about what Revelation is talking about. And I couldn't reconcile in my mind their joy and my awareness of what Revelation was full of. Hmm. And what I realized in that moment was what I thought Revelation was about is not what Revelation is about. It's not about those scary, terrible things. Those scary, terrible things are visual depictions in a poetic way of the inconsistency and incompatibility of sin and, and putting your trust in things that are not the Lord. And this is where it's going to come back to John 8. So, you know, I, well, it's, it's where it's starting to come back to John 8. <laughs> so the, the point of revelation is that Jesus returns. That's right. That there is one who is worthy to open the scroll. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, who cares about a scroll? Like, <laughs> what's the point of that? I don't understand. God, make it make sense. And he'd be like, silent. Like, just nothing. And I'd be like, why does it not make sense? My dad did a sermon series once called Seven Future Events That Will Shake the World. And he's talking about things in Revelation. And I, there were Sundays where I had to get up out of the service and go sit in the bathroom for the next 20 minutes. Because... I had to just let him finish. I couldn't, I couldn't bear to listen to it. I was so scared, so scared. And I didn't take the time to ask, why am I scared? Just assumed that I knew what was going on in those verses and it freaked me out. So in that moment, 
when they said we're living in the end times, I couldn't reconcile it because not only did I have an awareness of end times prophecies, but like I, I, I had an inability to make sense out of their joy. And as the concert went on, there was a line in one of Matt's songs where he said, I turn off the news when I don't like what I see, which is easy to do when it's population. And then the lyrics, if you saw them, would have a colon, population, me. Mm-hmm. And what he's trying to say is, when I'm by myself, like, I don't have anything. And that scares me. So I avoid the news, which, you know, I grew up with my bedroom right off the living room and my dad would listen to Bill O'Reilly yell at the camera for like two hours every night. (laughs) And I would sit there listening to Bill O'Reilly go, the world's going to end and Israel is doing this and Saudi Arabia is doing this and Iraq and I get Afghanistan. And my, my, you know, 10 year old brain is like putting together some of these things like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. Like I can't make it, you know? And the Lord just kind of cut through all of that in the middle of that concert. And he was like, when have I ever given you a reason to be afraid of me? And I'm not a charismatic guy. Like I have an opinion on speaking in tongues and it's not what most people think speaking in tongues is. And, and you know, I, I've gotten in a lot of long conversations about the physical manifestation of God's voice in, in a physical meant, I guess physical it's in my mind, but those kinds of things. But I, I've had long arguments with people who I very strongly disagree with that that will just tell you all oh, those things exist this way or whatever but it was unignorable that it was the voice of the lord saying i have never given you a reason to be afraid of me because he asked it like that like he was like when have i ever given you a reason to and i couldn't find one i was starting to be honest about like okay i'm afraid of this but that's not you hmm. and i'm afraid of that and that's not you and eventually i was like okay okay like i hear you and a lot of people have a salvation story where they're like, and I gave my life to Jesus and everything changed. And, you know, I was never the same. And on some level, that's true. I was regenerated from the inside out. But I didn't have this like, it wasn't like the light shone down from the top of that concert venue. And like, I suddenly figured it all out. Yeah. Like, I didn't feel any different. There was no emotion to it. There was no tears there were no moments of like existential experience like it was just an acknowledgement of like I don't know what's best for me and I don't know where you're leading me but I'm gonna go that way and we'll see what happens you know in Gen Z terms I looked at God and I said bet you know that's what I told my (laughs) students but like I did like I, I was finally willing to take him at his word. And then it started to click. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And there was a time after that time when I got saved at 16, like the next few years were, you know, me overcoming things like like fear of getting up in front of the church and as a candidate for baptism for the third time in my life, hmm. you know. Um, and by the time I actually did get baptized, I wasn't even a member at that independent Baptist church anymore. It was at a Southern Baptist church, but the, my, the Lord redeemed it in that, like my dad was the one that got to baptize me, which was so cool. That's awesome. But, um, you know, went through a lot of those different things and recognized that call to ministry and got baptized at 21, um, in the fall, late fall of 20 of my, yeah, the year I turned 21, it was the late fall. And, uh, eventually that next spring I fell off a cliff and we'll get back to that in a second. But the Lord has, has really revealed to me, like, it's, it's not about praying a prayer or 
it's not about getting baptized. It's not about anything you do, any sin you stop doing. It's about Romans 10, 9. You believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. You confess with your mouth that he's Lord and you'll be saved. And he kind of phrased it to me this way, like, why would God ask for blood as payment for sin? Started, started meditating on that, that question for a while and kind of came to the conclusion like, well, my blood is worth the same thing to me that it's worth to Tom. And Tom's blood is worth the same thing that it is to Kyle or that Kyle's is to him. And our blood is worth the same thing to us as Adam's was to him. And our great, 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 great grandsons or daughters blood would be to them. And suddenly I realized biblically the, the, the blood represents the life in Leviticus, you know, God says to not eat meat with blood in it because blood is the life of mm -hmm. the thing. And so God's asking for your life. He's asking in, in Louis Giglio's words for his breath back, Yeah. right? That he gave us the breath of life. And so we, we, we recognize where that comes from. He, he's just asking us to be honest and live in the truth that he gave us life and we didn't do it for ourselves. And it started to click like God didn't get upset that there were two less fruit on his tree when Adam and Eve ate from it. He got upset because they didn't trust him. You know, the, the sin was in the fact that they didn't believe that he knew what was good and what wasn't. The The serpent's first attack is, did God really say, AKA, can you, can you really believe that God's not lying yeah. to you? Do you really trust that? Mm -hmm. He's attacking God's character. Right. Which at that point in the story, if you, all you've ever read in your life is Genesis one, two, and three, there's only one character that's saying what's good and what's not. And it's God. And then the tree comes in and they're like, no, we'll take it for ourselves. And they started to make so much sense. God said, Tyler, don't lust after women that aren't your wife because you're committing adultery with her, it, with them in your heart. And I'd say, no, nah, it's okay. I'm all right. I got this to the point that I would even start saying, God, I can't not do this. Like I'm not just willingly choosing to go against him anymore. Now it's like a compulsion and a slavery thing. Yeah. And, and then Hitler, you know, God said, don't kill 6 million Jews. And he did. So, so the, the root of all sin, and we've heard, I feel like if you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard something to the effect of the root of all sin is pride. It's looking at God and saying, I know better than you do. Um, or it's looking at God and saying, I can get my way back to you. But Romans 10, 9 cuts right, cuts right through the middle of that. Like you, you don't work your way back to me. I died for you. Yeah, Believe right. in your heart, Jesus rose from the dead. And you don't know what's best for yourself. I do you know, yeah. confess that he's your Lord. And that's when it was like, oh my gosh, salvation is just the reversal of Genesis chapter three, like in spoken <laughs> word, like yes. you're looking at God and saying, I'm going to be the opposite of what Adam and Eve did. I'm yeah. going to be the opposite of who I am in this mm -hmm. moment before you. And so, uh, you know, thinking about my relationship with the Lord like that over these few years, and I, I get to 21 years old, got baptized in the fall. March comes around. I was working at a summer camp in Texas, but still living in Illinois and had a buddy that was from Illinois who was going to work with me for what was my second summer and was going to be his first. But if you haven't lived in Illinois um, or another small part of the country like that, and Tom knows this, like people that are from that area and grew up in that area never leave that area. Right. They yeah. feel this like weight of like, I can't go out of it. It's hard. They yeah. don't take long trips. Yeah. You know, it was a nine hour drive from Southern Illinois to where this camp was. And he wanted to do it in two days. And I thought, 
I've done 18 in a day. Like, we'll be fine, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But I couldn't get his mind to wrap around it. And so when I realized that's what he wanted to do for the drive down to the camp, I was like, we got to get him to meet some people that work at this camp before we go there. He's going to be like a fish out of water. He's going to be so scared. So we planned a weekend to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas, where I knew there were some people that, that lived there and went to the University of Arkansas and that also worked at camp. There's probably a dozen, 20 of them. And I was like, I knew a good number of them. So we'll, you know, get together for different things throughout the weekend. And so we went to a concert in downtown Fayetteville for an artist that we really liked. And then kind of spent that evening being college kids. Like we went to Whataburger after 11 and got honey butter chicken biscuits. And we like, uh, there was a show on Netflix that we all liked and the guy that we were staying with and his roommates loved, and they didn't even hang out with us because they were marathoning the whole thing at their house. They'd set up two computers connected to like eight TVs and <laughs> they hit space bar to play it at the same time. So there wasn't a bad seat in the room. And that was the kind of house where like they had, you know, they'd Christmas lights around the top and they had Whataburger numbers yep. in between every light. And <laughs> it's one of those houses. And, uh, you know, we stayed up till three or four in the morning watching that show with them after we went to Whataburger and slept till noon. And we didn't have any plans for the rest of Saturday, but the church we went to at the time in this, in the St. Louis area when I was in college, um, only had Sunday evening services. They didn't do Sunday mornings because they were sharing a building with another church. And, uh, we had Sunday morning free and it was six hours back to where we lived. So we were like, we can go to church with our friends here in Fayetteville on Sunday morning and then just hop right in the car and go straight to our church service and make it to both. And, uh, so that was our plan, but we didn't have anything planned for Saturday afternoon and evening. So there's a cliff nearby. We were like, let's go hiking and we can kill some time just going down this really cool trail. Cause at the end of it, there's a cliff that looks like a hawk's beak. So they call the trail Hawksbill Crag. And if you ever seen the movie Tuck Everlasting, some of the opening scenes mm-hmm. in that movie were filmed on, on this trail. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And yeah. so, um, we, uh, drive an hour out of Fayetteville, get lost trying to find the place and we finally find it. And you, you start out at the bottom of one of those Ozark mountains and you drive up to the top where the trailhead is. And you know, the Ozark mountains are technically mountains, but they're not high enough to have a tree line. So you just feel like you're in the woods right. until all of a sudden you round a corner and boom, there's a cliff and you realize how high up you actually are. And we were going down this trail. I was wearing Chaco sandals, khaki shorts, and a man, I'm still mad about this cause they cut the shirt, but it was a, my dad went on a fly fishing trip with, um, pastor Jerry and uh-huh. some of the other guys yeah. from around the IBC world, um, up in Colorado in July on that trip. He always goes on. He got me a shirt from that trip and, uh, I, I it got cut off in the aftermath of all this and I lost it forever. It was one of my favorite shirts, but anyway, um, that's going to all going to be important. So we go hiking down this trail and suddenly we're at one of those points where we realize how high up we are. And there was a, a little Creek that ran, um, across the trail and then a good 10, 15 yards away from the trail. And then it went off the edge of a little cliff that was only maybe eight or 10 feet tall. And then where it landed became its own platform that came out farther, uh, probably 20 yards. And the drop off of that was way more significantly steeper. It was a good 35, 40 feet. Um, and the waterfall kept going off of that. And I noticed off that second ledge, there was another smaller area that I could either stay on top of the platform that I was on on that second shelf and go around to go down a slope on the far side of the waterfall that was really easy to get down. I saw two trees that were the perfect distance apart for my hammock to hang. And I was like, man, I don't even know if I want to go see the end of this trip, this trail and see that cliff. Cause I could see myself sitting in my hammock right there reading a book and that would be awesome. And just let the rest of the guys go and they can come back and find me later. And so I decided I was going to go find a way down to that thing. I could have gone over, you know, on the big platform and down the slope, or I, 
that next step down was a shorter, straighter way. Um, kind of, I'd have to go directly behind the water of the waterfall, but it would be, it would be a shorter trip mm-hmm. to get down to where that was. It was just a little more dangerous. And so I hopped down on that little ledge and I was like, I can do this. I got this. I took one, one step after that decision and my foot hit wet moss on a rock on my left foot. I was facing the cliff was to my left and my left foot slipped on that rock and I went off the edge. So I lost my balance. And when I tell people, oh yeah, I fell off a 35 foot cliff. They're like, oh my gosh, were you rock climbing? Or were you like, did you jump and something went wrong? I'm like, no, I was just an idiot. Like I was just too close to the edge (laughs) and I slipped. And because I just slipped, I didn't have any momentum throwing me forward or rotate or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I just kind of stayed standing up, leaning to my left a little bit because that's the way the momentum was going all the way down. And, you know, I thought a lot of things. But I thought them quickly because you know how you you think one thing or you, maybe you're not even thinking, you're thinking in one direction and then something pops up around you and it makes you think of something else. And within half a second, you've thought of 15 things in a chain of succession, yeah. but you don't actually think the thoughts. You can feel the logic of what it's you're so, thinking. Yeah, it's so quick, right? Yeah. It's almost like indistinguishable. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly how this played out like neurologically in my thoughts. But I remember thinking, man, if you keep walking forward, this is what's going to happen. Like... I genuinely thought my brain was trying to tell me like, like it was fake, but I was just vividly imagining what was going to happen if I kept going forward and God telling me don't go that way. And so I kept falling and I realized, Oh no, this is real. Um, the next thought after I realized it was real was I'm going to die because I remembered how high up it was from having looked down at those trees. And I thought there, there is no way out of this. It was as real to me as if I, you know, were standing on the wall in front of a firing squad there. You don't get out of that situation like not I'm trying to kill myself, not I'm trying to go this way, but just I don't see a way out. It's not there. And the last thought I had before I hit the ground was if that's it, let's go. I'm going to see Jesus which is not normal for me because I don't do well with fear. I dated a girl in high school who tricked me into seeing the purge in theaters. I had no no. idea what it was. And because it was a thriller movie, it wasn't even really a horror movie. It was just a a slasher thriller movie. Um, There were horror commercials and previews before. And there was a movie called insidious two that had, or maybe three that had a terrifying preview. And just that preview alone I was on the floor of the movie theater in the sticky soda and candy. Like I just couldn't handle it. And you know, we talked earlier too about like thinking about the things of revelation and stuff like that. Like fear was a big struggle for me. And so I, uh, I think this thought of like, I don't see a way out, but Jesus said, he's got this. Hmm. So let's go. And I remember a lot of yellow and white and like brightness. Like, I don't know. I, I think it was just the colors of the world around me rushing. But I mean, it could have been some kind of a spiritual experience or something. Or like I hit my head. So it could have been that. Like, who really knows? I, I don't want to be the heaven is for real kid and come on here and be like, I went to heaven for three minutes and then come back later when I'm an, adult, an older adult and be like, no, none of it was real. I made it up because that's exactly what he did. And that's yeah. not what I'm going to do. Yeah. But I do remember that visual. And I woke up. And my friends say I screamed a lot. I don't remember that. Um, 
I had the opportunity to go back to this place a year later and they wouldn't come with me. They, they couldn't, they couldn't get themselves to do it. Um, but they say I yelled a lot and I screamed a lot. Um, I had landed foot first. So my left foot got the brunt of it all. Like the doctor said it was like, it got smashed with a sledgehammer. And then my, the, the radius bone, um, in your forearm is kind of shaped like a capital P. Like you got the knuckle end of it down by your wrist, but on the top of it, it's got a big disc that looks like, like a closed in capital P. And that's called the radial head, that, that curved part. And it broke off. Um, I had 30, I ended up with 30 stitches in my forehead because the gash was so bad. And my mom was, she was so faithful about like, you got to put Minerva on your face. You got to put Minerva on your face or you're going to have a big scar. So I did. And I don't, you don't really see it now, yeah, which is can't wild. Even tell. Um, there is a part, a part of my hairline right here that doesn't grow back because of wherever that, that scar went up mm. into my yeah. scalp. Yeah. Um, but even I don't remember where it is at this point. I know it had something to do with this area here, but not really sure. And then because I was wearing Chaco sandals, my foot, the skin on my feet was exposed and I got a pretty nasty cut on, on my left heel, um, that required, uh, staples and that you can still see the scar of cause there was no getting around that. But, um, that was it. Those are the only injuries I had. It was a smashed foot, broken radius, gash in my forehead and my heel. And the rest were, there was like some, some burns and stuff from like rubbing against the rock mm -hmm. as I fell or whatever, but that was it. And the Lord provided so many things like a, basically a full emergency room staff that were just hiking on the trail, a physician's assistant, an ER x-ray tech, a few nurses, um, and they all ran the show until the field and game officer got there. Cause we were so remote that it took a while. And, um, it was a couple hours before EMS was even there. Um, I remember, I, I vividly remember the helicopter flying over the trees, um, that they were going to take me to. And it the sky was noticeably darker when that happened. Um, but the field and game officer had morphine. He was my best friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I did have a concussion, I guess. So that's another one. Um, so I kept saying the same things over and over and over again, laying there on the ground. But, um, somebody took a picture and you can see, um, in that picture, it's from far away and it's pretty blurry, but, um, you can see the blood on my nose. Um, and the people just standing around me and the x-ray tech, um, you know, she's holding my head and the PA is kind of standing there telling the nurses what to do. There was a girl that I feel like every time you go hiking, there's somebody out there who looks like they went through REI and bought everything they had and then brought it in a backpack with them. <laughs> and this girl was that she was that girl and she was out there and she had foil blankets and all kinds of stuff. So they wrapped me up in my hammock and those foil blankets and I was able to stay warm because it was spring breaks or almost spring breaks. So beginning of March in uh -huh. Arkansas, is, it can be chilly. Yeah. So um yeah we what are the odds wild right that's insane yeah I, it's it's god though so you know doesn't matter yeah. no i, I want to stop there for a second yeah and just say just logistically looking through that fall yeah just, just from height wise i mean yeah you're talking three and a half four stories mm -hmm. um i mean that's a significant i mean absolutely i mean you probably know this better than i do but there's i mean there's science behind like okay every eight feet that you fall mm -hmm. the chance of survival goes down by a certain percentage yeah and I, I know when you get up to i mean five times that i mean it's significantly oh, low yeah, yeah. Very, and my very brain low. went through all that because in, in the period that followed i was i was not allowed to bear weight on my foot or my elbow for eight weeks so i was stuck in bed i'd gone from a life where i was working at chick-fil-a and hanging out with my friends and it was, I was a track athlete bef a couple of years before that. So I, you know, I was still into athletics and, um, I had, had to quit the team at that point to get a job, but like, you know, 
very physical, active social life yeah. to being stuck in my bed, my childhood bed, you know, for eight weeks with nothing to do. And so my brain ran through everything. Like, yeah. what if I had grabbed here? What if I had fallen this way? And there was no one variation of that fall that I could come up with where I didn't die because my head would have hit or, you know, I, my, my arms would have given out and my neck would have broken or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just things like that. Like if you had fallen this way, then this would have happened and that would have happened. And so that would mean death every time. Yeah. And it just so happened to be that because my leg took the brunt of the fall and because he had, I had been training in track and field and things like that and had had stronger legs and you know, those kinds of things yeah. like it, it was able to bear the weight of my body in a way that only broke my foot didn't break my, my, my femur didn't break my, whatever your shin mm-hmm. bone is. Yeah. Like none of those did. My knee was fine. Like my foot took all of it and it was wild. And yeah, it's, there were, there were moments that I was like, how did this happen? I mean, it can only be God and it would grow my faith and I would worship as a result. And then there were others and more numerous where I wouldn't, I went through everything Netflix had. And, you know, numbed my mind to try, again, try to escape from things that were afraid for making me afraid of what could happen in the future. And I remember so vividly, we came down to Texas for Easter with my mom's family. I was laying in bed and couldn't sleep and was anxious about the summer and the job that I had had at the camp and whether or not that future was gone and kind of mourning that. And I just, again, heard the Lord say, like, what's it going to take to get you to talk to me? Cause I hadn't, I didn't really pray. I didn't really talk to him very much at all. And the, the thought that the, a fall to my death wasn't enough to wake me up and get me talking to him mortified me, but it also made it mortified me because it made me aware of my own depravity and like how far I really was from God on my own. And, you know, you best believe I started talking to him more, more after that, <laughs> but you know, it, 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 it really was a way of him, like, I, I kind of view my fall off the cliff as Paul's blindness. Mm. I heard a pastor say one time that God wants to do miracles in your life and show up in the way that Paul that he did for Paul that day in Acts chapter 9. And I just thought, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Because God showed up in that way in Paul's life because Paul's head was so far up his own rear end that he had to knock him off his horse and blind him to get his attention. Right. Yeah. So if you're asking God to do for you what he did to Paul, you better buckle up because it's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how I felt that experience to be was his moment of really shaking me awake. Like my, my pornography addiction hadn't been worse than it was in that season right before that. And, you know, I would have other struggles with it in the future over those next couple of years. But there was something different in in that season of finally realizing this is what it's going to mean to let Jesus be the Lord and the King of your life. And you better be okay with it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if God actually knocked me off that cliff. I don't know if he put me through it in the same kind of way he put Paul through what he put Paul through, but I do know that that's what he used it for. Right. You know, and to, to kind of bring it all back to, to where we were headed with the John eight stuff, it, it has become clear to me in this last year that I, I never understood 
the full weight and the meaning of what it means to call God glorious or to give him glory or even his holiness, which is directly connected. Um, I knew those words and I thought I knew what they meant. And then I got to thinking about um, that passion conference that we take our young adults to has been, has been around since 1997. Uh, They fill stadiums with tens of thousands of people and people get saved at that event every year. Um, people go on to, (laughs) there's people that were standing on that stage this year who were students in the late nineties and early two thousands that, you know, have, have caught a glimpse of how beautiful Jesus really is at a moment like that. And I've had the blessing of getting to know some of the people on their team and who actually put this event on every year and work in the church that came out of it and all these different things and, and learn kind of the why behind what they do. And I was kind of, kind of mulling over the question you know, Louis Giglio, he's the guy that started this thing. He's 68 years old and they just filled Mercedes Benz stadium with college students and they raised $2 million for Bible translation. And, you know, single-handedly as a bunch of 18 to 25 year old college students paid for the translation of a people group in Peru. That's 250,000 people. Like how he's, he's 68. How is this happening? Dude, that guy's solid. He's great. And and I, I thought for a while, I was like, yeah, Louis solid and he's great, but I don't think that's the reason. I think the reason is because of three core values that that organization holds. Or core value number one, Jesus is our, is our main story. He is front and center in everything they do. It, it does not matter who's on the stage. It doesn't matter who made the decision. It doesn't matter who's speaking, who's leading worship, anything like that. They will let you know who those people are when it's relevant for you to know so that you're not just wondering who's that guy on the stage. But it's not about those people. And they won't bring people on stage that that think it's about those people. Mm. And if they do end up on stage, they never come back again. So it's, you know what I mean? Like they, they hold that. And right. there, there was a particular moment, and I won't say at which conference, and I won't say which person it was, but a couple years ago throughout this whole thing or within the last few years where one of the worship leaders began to speak in tongues during the service and their sound guy muted her Mm. like, because, you know, she, she was in a moment where, you know, she may have a conviction about what the theology of that is and those kinds of things. But in that setting, they were like, Hey, we're just gonna gonna make it about jesus and nothing else and they weren't mad about it she came back and led the next you know the next day again and you know it wasn't like it was a like a mean thing or anything it was just like hey this is our core value so we're gonna hold to it Mm -hmm. um if you go on the platform at any point in any of those experiences you come from the crowd up to the platform there's no green room out to the stage or anything like that when there's sixty thousand people in a stadium Every other artist or some kind of human who is considered a leader in any capacity in a situation like that would have come out from some private place where they could get away from those 60,000 people and have some peace and quiet. And don't get me wrong. They've got areas where those people can go and decompress and calm down. But if they're going to be on stage, they don't come from there. They sit in the stands and they come up with the people. So Jesus is our lead story. And then number two, um, they believe in extravagant worship. Jesus is worth the most we can give him doesn't necessarily mean that we have to dress in our Sunday best when we approach him. It just means that if we're going to drop anything on anything, he's our greatest return. So he's worth extravagant worship. And then the last one is we design everything. If God has cared about the most, if he cares about the most intricate details of life in the world, then we will too. 
And to the point that their church building has white walls in the lobbies so that when they want to do a new event, they can paint them and like meticulously craft every environment to fit whatever they're doing in ministry at the moment. And not every church is blessed with resources like that. So yeah. there's a uniqueness to the right. how to right. the how behind what they do. But the why that they do it is not is not unique. It's script I mean it's unique in scripture, but it's it's yeah. it's transferable no matter where you are mm-hmm. in your life, in your ministry jobs, in whatever you do, it is, you know, this recognition of the holiness and the glory and the beauty of God. And it really hit me this year because they opened the roof at Mercedes Benz stadium. And one of the volunteers was like, do you know how much money it costs to open that roof? And I was like, probably a lot because that's a whole ordeal. And if that alone opening the roof cost what it did, what did the rest of this cost? Yeah. And then I got to thinking like, there's a lot of people who criticize moments like this for the money that they drop on these kinds of things. You know, why didn't we give it to poor people? Why didn't we, you know, X, Y, Z other thing? And it hit all of a sudden the Lord put the story of Mary dumping her oil on Jesus's Mm -hmm. feet in my mind. Yep. Exact first. My mind just went to like the poor you will have (laughs) with you always. Right. (laughs) And who was the only person complaining in that, in that story? Oh yeah. It was Judas. Judas. Yeah. Which suddenly makes this, I feel like I'm saying this out of a heart of care and, and, and understanding for people who are struggling. But what I'm really doing is not recognizing the holiness and the beauty and the worth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus is worth millions of dollars opening that roof. Why do they open the roof? Because in a moment where you're there's 60,000 people and you are trying to, to worship the God of heaven who spoke and the son appeared. Yeah. And the worship leader can go look up passion, look up and they look up and they see this, this, this roof open. It, it, it just, there's a beauty to that moment and the way that they steward the leadership of that moment that points everybody's eyes to Jesus and how lovely and beautiful he is. And in Passion in particular, it's it's a unique thing because the first time they were in that stadium in 2020, the roof opened on its own. People didn't control it. It happened spontaneously. And nobody could tell why, but it happened in the middle of Carrie Job and Cody Carnes leading Revelation song. Okay. I think it was Revelation song. It might have been the blessing. Um, But it no, the blessing wasn't out yet. So anyway, people started to feel this rush of wind because of the vacuum that it created, Uh the pressure difference. And so, you know, for a moment, even though it was just air coming in from the outside to a lower pressure environment, like it felt like the Holy Spirit was in the room for a second (laughs) and, and people's hair started standing up on their arms and they were like, Whoa, this is crazy. And, and it may not have been the Holy Spirit himself rushing into the room, but he used it to make them more aware of him. And so, you know, it's moments like that where Christian Stanfield can go look up at the sky guys, look at him. And just like, as the psalmist is saying, like, look at the skies, the heavens declare how glorious God is and how many wonderful things he's done. And so to bring it all back to John 8 46, my life has been so many moments of God showing me like pornography is not going to give you what it says it's it's going to give you. Control is not going to give you what it says it's going to give you. Understanding what's happening so that you don't have to be afraid isn't going to give you what you think it's going to give you. Escapism isn't going to give you what you think it's going to yeah. give you. I alone am holy. Mm-hmm. And in John eight forty six, Jesus says, which of you can convict me of sin? You can't. You can't convict me of sin. So if I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? You know, Jackie Hill Perry says, she uses this verse to explain how Jesus' entire argument is, my holiness is why I'm worthy of being believed. You shouldn't 
just believe me. You should believe me more than you believe anybody else because I can't lie to you. Mm -hmm. And when you think about Jesus that way, changes a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Changes a lot of things about the way you think about following him and just living life or, or who he is. I, I couldn't believe that at this point in my career in ministry and having grown up in church that I had never done it before now. But um, this morning I bought The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Um, on Audible and have okay. been listening to the first few chapters of it. And, it, you know, his very first line in the whole book is what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Mm. And for the longest time, holy was not what came to mind when I thought about Jesus. And if it was holy, then it was like holy as in he's perfect and he's sinless and and I'm not. And wouldn't it be nice if I was, you know, yeah. like not, um, not raised high above everything else. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why when you think about passages in Revelation that say there is one who's worthy to open the scroll, yeah. it changes everything. That scroll contains God's plan for the removal of sin and evil in the world. And if there's nobody who's worthy to open it, then sin has the last word forever and ever. <laughs> and if anything's going to scare you, it needs to be that. Because if, if the serpent wins... You know, if the resurrection, Paul says it in, I think it's in, in one of the Corinthians, that if, if Christ hasn't been raised, then we're to be pitied more than anybody else. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And we're above all people most miserable. Yes. Yep. Yep. And that's why, you know, I would read that, that story of that prophecy of, of the lamb coming to open the scroll and the people in Revelation are weeping with joy. And I'm like, why? Because it's going <laughs> to like open up all these bowls and, and, you know, wrath and judgment and all these things that I knew what was coming when that scroll mm -hmm. gets opened. And I didn't realize that terror is for the ones who don't want God. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and Tozer says it this way. Um, he says that we were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. You know, and in my case, my view of Jesus wasn't holy when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that he alone is the source of 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 good and life and joy and that he loves me in giving those things to me, not just because he gives me those things, but because he gives me himself. And with him, I get those things. Like I, I didn't have that view of his holiness yeah. yet. And it very well predicted what was to follow um, until God got in there and threw me off a cliff or however he did it, you know, <laughs> or whatever. But I, you know, I, I, I can't get around it now. There, there are things in my life that are tempting me to look to the next thing, just like when I was a kid. Things that, that say, yeah, but what about this or what about that, you know, and, and what about this next coming thing? When a church is growing really quickly, there's a lot of those, you know. Um, but then there's also just life things. You know, my son has autism. And there's a lot of scariness that comes with that. Yeah. And there's a lot of... Um, well, when we, when we get this, then things will be better. Or when we get that, then when he does this, or if he does that, then things will, there's a lot of pull for escapism to the future. And I keep finding myself catching myself in that moment, taking those thoughts captive, as Paul says, 
and reorienting on, no, no, like you don't need that. You don't need your son to speak. You don't need your son to eat solid food. You don't need, um, you know, to have a bigger space for your, for the longest time with our middle schoolers, we packed them in the parsonage, you know, cause we didn't have anywhere else to go. And we gutted the kitchen in the living room of the parsonage cause our pastor hadn't lived there for years. And, and we turned it into the main large group quote unquote space for the middle schoolers. And we had 60 kids in a living room and a, and a kitchen. It's just wow. wasn't room for it, you know? And, and so for five and a half years, we did ministry in that room with middle schoolers and it was fine. You know, I didn't need mm-hmm. those things. Um, when I worked at summer camp, we had a kid come through our cabin who was Jewish. And this is kind of the first time the Lord phrased it to me in this kind of way. But, you know, I, I went to a staff prayer and worship hour or so where one counselor from every cabin got to go and pray for the the services that were going to be coming up soon. And, and we had been having conversations with this kid all week. And what my, my co-counselor had, when, when kids would come through our cabin, we would do a draft on the first night and we would have them fill out a sheet where we asked them random questions, but then a few more probing ones to learn about their lives. And then once they all went to bed, we would all sit up in the counselor room and be like, all right, I want that kid. I want that kid. And we'd divvy them up and be more intentional with three or four yeah. instead of the whole 16 for the entire week. And, um, my co-counselor got the Jewish kid and he had amazing conversations with him. He handled that relationship so well, um, but the kid never made a profession of faith and we weren't sure he was going to. And that night at that staff prayer, I fell asleep during the worship because I was so physically exhausted from late nights and early mornings and taking 25,000 steps a day and all the camp things stuff. you do at camp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was so mad at myself for falling asleep. So I stepped outside of the worship center room and went out into the lobby of that building and sitting on a couch and reading in my Bible and, and just kind of praying and, and journaling to try and make sense out of what had just happened. And I just wrote down, like, I don't know if it was me being moved along, carried along by the spirit in that moment or what, but I just wrote down, like, he's better than sleep. He's better than chicken nuggets and mac and cheese on Wednesday. He's better than whatever, like, cause that was the Wednesday meal. I can't, we're like, like whatever <laughs> other things. And then all of a sudden I wrote, he's better than a Jewish kid coming to know Jesus. Mm. And I was like, blasphemy, you know, I'm supposed to care most about this Jewish kid coming to know Jesus. And it wasn't that I didn't care about that kid coming to know Jesus. I totally cared. I was burdened by it, you know, to the point that another kid who wasn't a believer in the room, but wasn't Jewish either was mad at us because he said, he was like, we're shoving the gospel. You're shoving the gospel down my throat. We weren't even really focused on him in the same way that we were focused on this Jewish kid. Not because we didn't care about him, but because for some reason the Jewish kid felt like a more tangible target, mm-hmm. more tangible goal. So we were, you know, we were doing everything we could to share the gospel with this kid. But he phrased it to me that way, I think, to show me, like, this is what Jesus means when he says that our love for others would look like hate in comparison to the mm. love for him, because he's really worth that. And so I have to, be, and I, I could go on for hours about all the other things in my life that would pull me to, to, to care so much about it that I would neglect Jesus. But I, I have to be able to confidently say that Jesus is worth more to me than whatever any of those things are. Yeah. And that includes other people coming to know Jesus. It, again, it doesn't mean that we don't share the gospel with them. It doesn't mean that we don't care about it. And it doesn't mean that that's not our main focus of what we do if we're in ministry. It means that the way we're going to do that is by making Jesus the head story. Yeah. Right? He's He is worthy of all of it. Yeah. He's worth it. 
he's worth dumping out a year's worth of salary of oil on his feet. Jesus said the reason why she did that was because he was prepa- she was preparing his body for his burial, which was sounds so cryptic to me. It sounded so cryptic when I first heard it. I was like, oh, okay, why does that matter? <laughs> and I suddenly realized in this season of kind of thinking about all this and mentors speaking into my life and the Lord using Bible teachers around me, realized that what he's saying is his burial or then his resurrection are our other poetic, artistic ways, whatever word you want to use, of communicating what Philippians 2 says, where it says that that because of his sacrifice and his resurrection, the Lord has lifted up the name of Jesus to be above every other name. Mm-hmm. His resurrection is what has revealed to us all that he really is who he says he is, yeah. that he means what he says. And if I can't believe him like Abraham did, that I'm, I'm to be pitied. I, I go to where people go when they don't want him, which is a place that has no him. That's why hell is as bad as it is. So I, uh, yeah. Sorry. I, no. I, well, I, I love, I love where the conversation is right now because when you look, uh, traditionally, historically, uh, even my own background, I can say that, um, a lot of, uh, conservative mm-hmm. believers, would that we really like to hone in on the righteousness mm-hmm. of God, right? Um, which I, I, I go back to uh, Jesus at, with the woman at the well, right? Like yeah. there will come a time when we will worship him in spirit and mm-hmm. in truth, right? And for the longest time, it feels like the people who have had the knowledge of the truth really have been propagating the truth, the righteousness of God, yeah. uh, how, how holy he, not holy in the sense that we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Right. But how, um, blameless. perfect he is yeah. blameless. He's, he's, he, he can't be touched by us because we're so mm-hmm. unrighteous and we focus so much on the righteousness of him, which is true. Mm-hmm. And my brain loves the true things. I'm a very logical person. I like yeah. the true things. Right. Um, but I'm kind of with you where I have gotten also to this. I mean, just the last few years, especially being up at um, your dad, Colin, Mm. Colin's church was one of the most revealing times for me because it began to teach me to appreciate what God, what Jesus is talking about in that moment as far as spirit. Yeah. Because he's so much holier than we are. Mm -hmm. And we forget sometimes that he can be both and not have to be separated from it. Like, yeah. yes, he is righteous, but why is he righteous? Well, he's righteous because he's so much higher above us and holy. so much yeah. more lifted up above us. Yeah. That is why there is truth in him. Right. But we try to extract this, this truth from the gospel itself to where mm. Jesus is our savior. He's our savior. Yeah. And it's very easy. Like when a church loses focus that Jesus is Lord and they just start propagating that he's savior. Well, of course, everybody wants to be saved from something in their life. Right. Right. And you will, if you only focus on Jesus being the savior, it is very easy to start gearing your entire ministry and start propagating another gospel Mm -hmm. in which Jesus is just here as the, the emergency button and he will save you from whatever you're in. But what it separates out is that fact that Jesus also is Lord. Yeah. Well, why is he Lord of everything in my life? Because he's above everything else in your Mm -hmm. life. And to your point, it's really easy to say, well, man, that's horrible that Jesus is more important than some kid getting saved. Right. Mm. But unless he's holy. Right. But if he's holy 
and he's the Lord of your life yeah. and he's above everything else. Mm-hmm. Guess what's going to happen as a natural outpouring of that? People are going to see 100%. from your life that Jesus is holy. Oh, it's not your main concern yeah. that whether or not I know Jesus, but I see that you know Jesus right. and the way that you know him, the way that you put him first in everything in your life. Mm-hmm. I want that. Exactly. That's that looks like something exactly. that I don't have. Yeah. That I don't have to be saved from something to want that. Right. That's attractive to yeah. me. And then all of a sudden, and I, th- I think that's what a lot of uh Christian and Baptist churches are go- are I see some of them moving toward is the spirit and the truth, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's why we see so much growth in those particular congregations because people are embracing the fact that, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to worship Jesus extravagantly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, extravagant may look different to other people. Right. Like if you come from a really, really conservative background, being able to raise your hand in a service is pretty yeah. extravagant. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But, but in it, other places, that that's that's less extravagant, and sure. so there's more extravagance. And can you go overboard with it? Absolutely. But here's here's the thing where we have to measure it, right? Am I drawing attention to God's holiness? Yeah. Or am I drawing attention to myself? Yeah. Because if I'm surrounded by people who are raising who are all raising their hands to worship a holy God, then it's not about me. Mm-hmm. I'm not raising my hands to garner attention. I'm yeah. raising my hands towards the one that has given me life, that yeah. has renewed me, that is above all others. And raising my hands, man, that's the closest I can get to him. Yeah. That's well, it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think the summer camp world is a really good way to to view it. Yeah. Because things happen at summer camp that you're like, why did you do that? Why? Did, you know, when we went to Timberline, when I was a kid, we did snot rockets with Skittles into five-gallon buckets. We stood on the oh, stage gosh. and put Skittles in our nose and held one nostril and blew those Skittles into the buckets from the stage. Yeah. We did that at Rogers, too, I think, a couple times. Were those the uh, the Fear Factor days for Fun Hour? I don't remember. There, there was I know a- one year we went and the theme was Return of the King. Yeah. When uh, Brother Raleigh spoke and he, like, turned the heat up in, in I, the I tabernacle. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they may have been still doing that kind of stuff, but my memory is pieces of those moments, so I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Gotcha. But... But like those kind of moments are like, why? Why? Why did you buy Skittles just so kids could stick them in their nose and shoot them in a five gallon bucket? <laughs> and you know, at Rogers one time they were there. It was pairs of people, and one person stood on the stage with a food glove on their foot, and the other person got down on their hands and knees, and they fed Cheetos to that kid with their feet. And it was like, why are you doing things like this? And and I love the visual of that because those are two. They they are genuinely. As as a as as a bachelor's degree holder in camp and sport leadership, they are stupid things. <laughs> but and by might I say disgusting because feet are gross. Yes, well, and the the kids that won, that that glove came off real fast, and and it was just the barefoot to the mouth multiple times, and uh, the 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 truth is they're stupid things, um, but they're funny, mm-hmm. and they're fun, and they're memorable. And guess what language kids speak? Yeah. yeah. Fun. Yep. That's right. We don't have any problem with a missionary learning Chinese to go to Beijing and share the gospel underground. It's not a problem. But when a kid speaks fun and won't care what you have to say unless they know they care that they know that you care about them. That's good. Then all of a sudden we're like, we're wasting money on this. 
it's all about fun. It's not about Jesus. Mm. Well, hold on. James 1 says every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow due to change. Yeah. He doesn't withhold anything from his children. Yeah. Right. And if fun is good and there's pure, unadulterated fun to be had, it's from him. So I'm the youth pastor out there that when I see people in these youth pastor Facebook forums say things like, does anybody have a game that goes with faith? I just roll my eyes. Like, I don't <laughs> care if it goes with faith or not. Do you know what my game's going to be about this Wednesday? Star Wars trivia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because actually it's one of my, I feel like it's one of my youth pastor wins. I, I took it from an FCA guy, but um, we do a recurring trivia game every week where the, the it's the boys versus the girls of the whole semester and the winner gets a, um, like it, it, to them, it feels like endless, but it's really just as much as they can eat crumble cookies. Okay. Um, at the, the last Wednesday of the particular semester before we transition to a new season of the year. And uh, it's, it's a win on a bunch of levels because A, the kids get really into it. And then B, I'd only, all I have to do is buy crumble cookies at the end of the semester and I don't have to <laughs> blow my budget on, on prizes every week. Um, but there, and, there, and there's also like this legacy thing, like this culture thing that it builds into the group that they want to cool. be a part of it. And we call it stupid easy trivia. So it, like it's, I doubt any of my students are going to listen to this. And if they do, it's probably not even going to be live before this Wednesday. But, um, you know, it's, it's questions like we put a picture of the two most famous droids from the entire okay. movie series on the screen. And then it just says, who is this? Oh, and it's like well, C-3PO, R2-D2. R2-D2. Yeah. What is the name of Han Solo's ship? Millennium Falcon. Like it's right. easy uh-huh. Star Wars trivia. And uh, at the end of it, the the losing team the first team to five correct answers wins the trivia round but then the losing team of those two gets to go to the back of the room and shoot at a target for the impossible shot and if they make the impossible shot which it's a really tiny target across the whole room with a nerf gun if they make it then the winning team's score goes to zero and theirs goes to five and they win that week and so there's like this added stake of of like all or nothing but all that to say that you know the to come back to your point that I, I don't think you have to have some kind of righteous justification for fun if it's pure, non-sinful fun. Right. Because if it is, it's coming from God, you yeah. know? One of the things, people have their different opinions of The Chosen, you know, and how whether or not that show is right um, because it takes some liberties creatively sure. on how it tells the story of Jesus. Um, but one of the things that I love that it does that I am... 100% positive Jesus did is that it shows him with a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And you know, I love that yep. about it. And there's that scene, I think it's in season one where at the wedding, they're at the wedding at Cana and he starts making fun of how one of the, the apostles can't dance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and he like, um, because it's so clear that he's not being mean to him. He yeah. loves him. And yeah. that's why he's saying yeah. it. Well, it's like a group of guys, right? You're just, yes. Yeah. yeah. You're just 100%. Yeah. It's yeah. the same reason why I'm dogging on Whataburger at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, um, then, then with the kids and that episode with the kids where he's like blowing raspberries and being stupid mm-hmm. and just dumb and funny. Yeah. And well, because, what a, yeah, one of the ones I loved was where the, the guy had broken his leg. Oh yeah, and he and, he's, and he says something like you know, and but don't fall and break a leg, and he's like, too soon. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I love that, and yeah. and and that's to me, it's like th- this extravagance of Skittles and cheese puffs and stupidity is worth it because what it's going to yeah. mean is there are kids in that room who would never sit down with me and go, let's talk about Jesus, unless 
I get on their level and earn to be right, the, earn the right to be heard by them. Yeah, right. That's good. And that's going to come through the languages that they speak. Yep. If I went into China and started speaking English like an obnoxious American tourist, nobody's going to listen to me when I tell them they need to follow Jesus. Yeah, right. But if I take the time to learn Mandarin and and learn about their culture and honor those things as best as I can to stay under the lordship of Jesus, they're going to listen. Yep. Yeah. You know? Well, I think there's a yeah. certain level of like respect too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like you took the time and say, hey, you know, whether it's Mandarin or playing silly games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hey, I know I care enough about where you're headed eternally yeah. Yeah. to, hey, we're going to play some stupid games. We're going to get down to your level. Yeah. Yeah, we can play some high-level games, and mm-hmm. it can be this crazy thing. We don't even have to play any games. Yeah. We can just dive right into wherever. Right. Um, but taking the time to really, like you said, get down their level, mm-hmm. say this is a safe place. You're amongst people, your peers, mm-hmm. and we're going to get silly, and we're going to have laugh, and we're going to bond. Yeah. And that way... Um, not maliciously, but that way, when we talk about more serious matters, yeah, there's a certain level of trust, right? I, th- I think that's key. Well, I, you know, I think the gospel tie-in explicitly is actually the death of Jesus, mm. because, you know, you think about a holy God who has infinite resources, and is far and above all that exists. Coming like Judah Smith was a assemblies of God pastor in the Seattle area that said it this way: you taking on the form of an ant to save an anthill doesn't even scratch the surface of what (laughs) Jesus has done for you. Yeah. But it's true. Jesus became, he not only became a human, Hebrews does a really good job of explaining this. He didn't just become a human, but he went through human life and then he died just like every human does. Mm -hmm. And he proved that he's different from other humans by picking his life back up. But up until that point, He's doing the same thing by living and dying that I'm doing when I give a kid a Nerf gun on Wednesday night and tell him to shoot. It's not the same thing because no, I'm no, not no, Jesus. No, I understand But what the you're logic saying. is it, yeah, what yeah. Jesus has done is where we pull that logic from yeah, to do yeah. what we do. Well, and I, I think we do a really good job of applying uh, Paul's statement on I became all things to all people yeah. so that I could win some, right? We do a really good job of applying that to like, oh, we'll set some of your preferences aside if you're trying yeah. to reach somebody. Okay, but what is that... Let's take that into what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Whose language are you willing to speak mm. to share the gospel? Yeah. Am I, am I willing to get down at the level of the kids and speak their fun language, mm-hmm. right, in order to be able to share the gospel with them? And I, am I willing to be silly? Am I willing to be embarrassed in front of a bunch of kids yeah. to share the gospel with them? Yeah. And then if you're, you can take that and apply it to so many other things in your life. Mm-hmm. When, when else am I willing to be embarrassed to share yeah. the gospel with Christ? Yeah. Am, I, am I willing to be the unemployed person yeah. because I shared the gospel at my job? Mm-hmm. Am I really becoming all things because Christ was us in every way? Mm-hmm. Am, am I willing to do that? Let me press on that wound a little bit. <laughs> How you view God will determine how far down that line you go. Sure, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So if you hear that and you're like, I couldn't be that person, that couldn't be me, then your view of God is too small. Yeah. Because I was not the middle school person. Mm -hmm. When I noticed that call to ministry in at the Rogers Conference all those years ago, I was convinced I'm going to do youth ministry, but I'm going to work with high schoolers. 
And then a couple of years later, well, maybe I'm not going to do youth ministry. Maybe I'm going to do camp ministry and I'll work with camp kids and I'll do camp programs and a parachurch yeah. camp organization, which wouldn't have been bad if you had called me to do it. That would have been great. But it got me through the season that I was in. And then it was like, okay, I guess I'm going to work with middle schoolers now. And I work with middle schoolers, you know, and I was even like, oh, I'm going to have a kid now. So I could never be someone that had a kid with special needs. Now I have some with autism and here we are, yeah. you know? So, you know, it, it, what you think about when you think about God will determine what you do Absolutely. in that moment. Yeah. If he asks you, you know, I, I'm sure there's people out there listening to this that, you know, you've heard your pastor say, we have needs in this area. We have, we need help in this area. Or there's a, there's a sign up sheet on your bulletin board for VBS things or, or whatever. And, and you've consciously thought, I can't be the person to do that. I would mm -hmm. just challenge you if you've had that thought then you're probably thinking of a God that is smaller than the God that is really in the Bible. Yeah. To some degree, maybe not fully. I don't want to step on your toes and say you don't believe in God, but, but there is an area of your life there clearly that you, that, that he can change and, and bring life to you in and fulfillment in a way you could have never imagined because you're human and you're not him. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a good yeah. opportunity to say, Hey, let me check myself real quick. Yeah. yeah. Would you but, be willing to yeah. trust that he has something good in yeah. there that you get to have the benefit of being a part of and experiencing? Cause I know a lot of people who signed up to serve with their church because they thought the church needed them and that God is asking them to help out because the need was there. And really it was for them. Yeah. 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 Uh, th there's two books that really brought uh, that kind of point home uh -huh. for me. Uh, they're by J.D. Greer. They're little oh, pamphlets. Yeah. Uh, not God enough, and you don't get your own personal Jesus. Oh, that oh man, awesome. just unreal for me. Like yeah. God doesn't care to help me through that part of my life. Well, mm. what kind of God are you worshiping? Does he yeah. does he love you all the way, or does yeah. he not? Did he send his son to die for you, or does he mm -hmm. not? If the God that you're thinking of isn't the God that helps you out of this little bitty need that you have in the yeah. same way that he helps you out of this big need that you have. That's not God enough. We design everything. Yeah. Right. Every and detail. You, well, and uh, one of the things I love out of uh, you don't get your own personal Jesus. Well, the Jesus I, I, I love and that I serve wouldn't, wouldn't call on me to do something that yeah. I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. What do you mean? Mm. Do you think it was comfortable for the God of all creation to squeeze all of his greatness into flesh and to live amongst us and have to do all the yeah. filthy biological things that we do for 33 years of his life. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did, did you think that that was comfortable for him? Right. Like we don't, it, we've got to stop. Um, one of the things I love about the 10 commandments is in that, in through that lens, uh, God says, uh, don't put idols before me. Right. Mm -hmm. God's not talking about other gods. Yeah. God's saying, don't make the God that you serve a God that I'm not. Yeah. Because anytime you minimize me or adjust your view of me to match something that you like, right. that's an idol. Right. You've, you, you're worshiping me. But you're worshiping this idolic, uh, yeah. idolatry version of me that's yes. not fully me. Yeah, like that's either the get calf. either get on board with me being all holy, yeah, or it's it's not the same God. That's the golden it, calf, absolutely. Yep. Because Aaron doesn't say Israel, this golden calf is the God that got you out of Egypt. Uh -huh. He says Yahweh is this golden calf. Yep, that's right. right. Which is not true. <laughs> yeah, Tozer said it this way in chapter two. There. Uh, no, sorry, chapter one. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. There you go. Yep. That's, that's if, hilarious. If, 
if you th- if what you think about when when you think about God is something that he has said he is not mm-hmm. then don't be surprised when he doesn't answer the prayer in that area the way you want him to because you're That's not good. praying to the same God yeah you know the um the thought that comes to mind for me is how you know God you kind of said it this way he, he cares so much about his name and his identity and his his appearance in our minds mm-hmm. because that was the root of what the serpent did in Genesis three. Yeah. When you don't think about God, the way he has revealed himself to be, you will miss it. And he cares enough about you to leave no holes barred. Every single one of those instances in your life, he comes out with a vengeance and he wants yeah. them torn down because he cares about you that much. And, you know, I did, a, I spoke at a disciple now weekend a couple, a uh, couple weeks ago and the Saturday morning session was a Q and a session where they had sent some questions in that I answered. And then we opened the floor for live Q and a, which I love, um, as a personal test of where I'm at with my relationship with Jesus, because mm-hmm. it's going to test what's already inside me. Right. Yeah. But, um, one of the, the very first question was if God is holy and wants all of the glory, no, actually the holy part wasn't there. If God wants all of the glory, doesn't that make him selfish? It's a very common, you know, like, cause I'm sure yeah. there's people out there that no, for sure. heard us have this whole conversation. It's like, yeah, but isn't it selfish of God to want all the glory? And the way I answered that question was, it's not if he's holy. That's right. Yeah. It feels weird to us to think of a God who wants and deserves all of the glory because every person we know who's ever asked for glory is corrupt right. mm-hmm. in sin. Well, we, we can't experience, I mean, yeah, physically, we can't experience anything like that here, mm-hmm. you know, this side of heaven. So, I mean, how to, yeah, I mean, how can we possibly comprehend exactly that kind of holiness that, yeah. that his nature makes him worthy? We have to go off his word right. from what he's yeah. already told us. That's yeah. one thing right. Tozer says in one of the third or fourth chapter, <clears throat> he starts saying like, you know, what God actually is, none of us know. We can't. Because if we did, we would be equal to him. Mm-hmm. That's right. And he says... There cannot be two absolutely free beings in the universe for sooner or later, two completely free wills must collide. Yeah. So he has to be the only one there is that way. Yep. But what we can know is what he has revealed. Right. And if we, if we're able to, um, uh, it makes all the difference. And I, I have gone from being the youth pastor that said, oh, I'm just going to share the gospel every Sunday or every Wednesday, which I do. Like, it's part of our church. If the Bible yeah. is open, the gospel is presented every time. We do the whole, um, you bow your heads, close your eyes, look up at me if you pray this thing. And, you know, it's, it's never like a pray this prayer and you'll get saved. It's no, like no, no. A, yeah, I understand if, what you're saying. If you want to be saved, here's how you do it. And if you just did that, we want to pray for you. So can you show us? Because we're yeah. at a point now where we can't just have one-on-one conversations with every single person right. unless they come to us. And so, um, you know, we, we, we do that every single week. And... I went from being the youth pastor that was like, yeah, preaching the gospel is the most important thing and that's what I'm going to do. And I still do it. I went from that to the youth pastor who thinks if I can do my best to show them the glory and the worth of Jesus, glory meaning weight and value of who he actually is, he will draw them in. That's right. And the yeah, gospel will save them. He right. will save them through his gospel. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. Exactly. Yeah. If I can get myself out of the way, and I take a lot of practical tips and pointers from the guys at Passion, because that's what they've made their whole life about, has been creating moments where people will see Jesus that way. So they've thought about it from this perspective for 30 years. And 
you know, if I can do that and I can get him or get him front and center and get me out of the way, then I, I need to just buckle up because whether it's dozens of salvations or one person whose story racks my story in a way that I had never imagined, he's going to hit hard and he's going to do something big. And, and that is what I was created for was right. to walk in relationship with him while he does the work and, and, and show him off like crazy. And there was a moment at passion this year where it's still on YouTube. The video is called that in all caps, that moment at passion 24, 24, where Christian Stanfield started singing Michael W. Smith's song, Agnes day. Mm. Yep. And I think they planned to do that song, but what happened in the aftermath, I don't think was planned by anybody but God. They, started leading the song and they did the full prog- pr- progression of it for a few minutes. And then they stopped. They stopped playing. Light stopped moving. Everything was still. And the crowd kept singing the song for 20 minutes. And I found myself sitting on the floor of that stadium with our college students captivated. I used to be the kid that would think we're going to go to heaven and sing to Jesus forever and ever. How boring is that (laughs) and you know randy alcorn wrote a book called heaven where he talks about how you know god's plan for the life after death is actually more like the life after the life after death right um and he's got plans for what he wants the world to be we've never experienced any of that Mm -hmm. because we've been in sin and so he's bringing the world back up to that point in the timeline where it fell in a full circle loop to where the garden of eden was heading before sin came in. But now this time we've got the added depth of wisdom yep. of everything we went through with Jesus. And, and until we get there, you know, we won't know what it's going to be. So that future is also holy in a way that we don't understand. But, uh, you know, he's got those plans and he's going to do those things with us. But I also think there's going to be a period of time where, like Mary, we're going to sit at his feet and we're just going to look at him. And it's going to be beautiful. And we're going to be captivated because I remember sitting in that moment thinking, I could be here forever. Yep. I could yeah. sit here all day and I would be just fine with that because I, I had been thinking and meditating on, he really is worth this. He really is beautiful like this. He really is that big. He really is who he says he is. Everything that I had questions about was all a lie. Like he, he never lied to me ever. And it came full circle back to that question at the Matthew West concert. When have I ever given you a reason to be afraid of me? Never. Yeah. He really is who he says he is. So which of you can convict me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's powerful. Good, Everything in my yeah. life has been just like narrowing in on that. And, and I feel this season of life that's coming up feels like almost like is this what we were preparing for? Like, I don't know what it's going to be, yeah. but you get that feeling of like, okay, yeah. now here we go. We're, we're mm-hmm. like, we're suiting up. The, the, the plans have been drawn. The uniforms have been delivered. The, you know, the, the, the lights are on the stadium set. The game's about to go. Let's go. Yeah. And Good. I have no idea what that's going to be, but I am excited for it. Amen. So yeah. A- amen. All right. Well, I just, I'll be, I, mean, I just want to be the first to say thank you. Thank you for yeah. coming. Well, thank, thank you, you for sharing. Thanks, Absolutely. Um, we hit a, wide variety of topics yeah and you know i i didn't know which direction it was going to go but i'm, I'm kind of glad that we we hit you know it was unexpected i think but we kind of hit on uh the pornography part of it mm. right and I, I think that i think it's a problem and i think it's yeah. more rampant than people are willing to admit yeah and i just want to say hey if, if, if you or if you need help 
right? It's you're not alone. I I, I struggled with it for a long time as well. Yeah. Um, you aren't alone. Same. Yeah. Yeah. You aren't alone. Um, there's people, there's men, yeah. women in your life that know what that is, know yeah. knows how to navigate that, and is willing to talk to you about it. Well, and there's hope to be found on the in, as that road goes down too, because the one scientific thing I didn't mention in that moment was the brain is is rewirable. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain right. may be wired to something that is not good for you. Um, but you can teach an old dog new tricks. You can rewire your brain. It's called neuroplasticity. Yeah. One of the hormones that fires in that moment is called Delta Fos B and it exists to make um, actions that are conducive to human life easier and easier every time, which is why what used to take all the willpower in the world to break God's rule the first time is now so easy for you to do yeah. because sex is good for human life. So your brain makes it easier for you to do that same way over and over again, which is one of the beauties of God's system when it's used the right way. Um, but it's like a pathway in the woods. The more you walk on it, the clearer it gets, but the less you walk on it, it grows over. Right. Yeah. And so it's there, there's hope to be found there built into the way God made the world. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it is beautiful. It all comes down to, are you willing to trust him yep. and that he means what he says yeah. and that he really is good. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What a great discussion. Yeah. Thanks, man. This is good. Thank you Man, it was almost a year in the making, I feel like, but we we got here. (laughs) Super cool. I look back. Your first message was September. Okay. So not as long as it feels. Well, so, but but we had been talking about it, like, when we first started Uh, doing the podcast last March. I'm Uh like, one of these days, we're going to have Tyler on. We're (laughs) going to have Tyler on. We were like, you know who'd be great? And then we were talking about it, and we were just like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll try to coordinate it. And then uh, here we are. I'm grateful. That's cool. I appreciate you guys working with me. Yeah. Oh, of course. Um... If you uh, enjoyed Tyler's testimony, if you would like to leave him some words of encouragement, or if you were encouraged by his testimony, uh, feel free to drop us a line. It's podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. You can get a hold of us on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh, LWBC underscore publications. We would love to hear from you. Um, Man, it's good to be back doing this stuff again, man. It really is. Yeah. The break uh, for the holidays was... Just, there was just something lacking in know, my life. It was weird. I just, yeah, I wanted to come up here every Friday and do it. Something about stuff like this that makes you kind of pool everything together in one line. It's like, right. you know, I, I was grateful that this conversation happened today personally because these are all things God's been doing in my life. And now here he has given me like a a That's line cool. to just think about it all in. Yeah. The, 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 the podcast it, yeah. forced it to narrow yeah. down. I mean, it talked for over an hour, but yeah, it narrowed down. Even <laughs> this time right here was part of his plan. 100%. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Good, man. All right. You know what I thought would be a great idea? Yeah. Um, if you're willing, Tyler, is um, I think maybe maybe in our, our post about this episode, maybe mm-hmm. on social media, that maybe we put a link to that that moment that you were talking about at that Passion Conference. Yeah. So people can just click on that 100%. and see it. Um, I th- if, you, if you're willing to share that, yeah, I think that'd be a great addition. To, yeah, I'll throw it in there. Yeah, I think that'd be great. That's cool. I can uh, send you guys to like to like the books I brought up as well and those perfect. kinds of things. Yeah, so that'd yeah. be great. Put those that'd be, links. That'd be great. But yeah, uh, yeah hey, appreciate everybody for, for listening to another week. Uh, we'll be back uh, with another episode uh, in two weeks from now. And uh, just stay safe, everybody. And uh, we'll see you guys real soon. Thank you.